0: Welcome to Archonnect Sessions, episode 104. I'm Paul, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Donna and Ken. Today we're joined by Orhan Ayuche and Rene Peralta, who are both currently teaching in Tijuana. Renee is a lecturer at San Diego State University and the director of Generica, a practice dedicated to the production of works relating to the transborder region of Tijuana and San Diego. Most listeners of this podcast and readers of Archonnect are already familiar with Orhan, Currently, Orhan is in Tijuana teaching at Escuela Libre de Arquitectura.
1: Well, Rene and I have been talking about Tijuana since uh, last summer, when I first came to Tijuana, which I fell in love with the city right away, whatever the reason. I think it was the, the layers of, the, it's a young city which already has its own archaeology. It's a really interesting place. So I want to ask my first question to Rene is, why is Tijuana highly important to urbanism?
2: Yeah, well, it's great great to have you here, Orkan, and look at the, first of all, look at the city with the fresh eyes, because, uh, you know, I sit here most of my time, and uh, sometimes I forget how some interesting details that you've been sort of noticing. I mean, why is it important to urbanism? I guess there's an interesting sort of paradox in the border, and... This is a this is a place where differences make sort of the the city and the and the urbanism happen. So what do I mean? Is is mean that the border, even though we know that borders, and especially today with all the rhetoric going on, the border here seems to work in a way that produces a lot of interesting relationships without losing the identity of both sides. And I think that is an interesting concept of the border. It doesn't sort of synthesize the region, which I think is something that we don't want to lose. We don't want to sort of, say, become another kind of San Diego suburb, or I don't think San Diego wants us to have Tijuana as it's, you know, another neighborhood. But we want to keep kind of those differences, and therefore the, the border allows these, these two cities to construct themselves based on those differences. And I think that is an interesting paradigm. I think that is an interesting way of looking at border, let's say, urbanism. Because we tend to sometimes, like, if we go to look at European urbanism and at least at the border, well, there's practically sometimes there isn't, there isn't even cities there. If we look at other places, there seems to be a kind of kind of homogenous culture. In Latin America, you know, the sort of the border between sort of Guatemala or Belize and Mexico is not that contrasting. So I think this makes that contrast that that sort of paradox really interesting. So I think. If you're trying to understand kind of how a region sort of like this sort of works, I think Tijuana is a good place to start looking at
3: it. Renee, sorry, may I just pop in here and get a little background information? Can you talk a little bit about other borders you may have seen or spent much time around or experienced and how sort of inject that into the conversation, how the Tijuana border is specifically different or similar to other international borders?
2: Yeah. And I think most of my experience has been in borders in Latin America. Of course, I've crossed the border between the United States and Canada, but most of the borders are in Latin America, like I said before, are pretty much sort of homogenous. They, they, they tend to sort of be these, um, of course, political borders on either a desert or some kind of jungle where the cities are not necessarily next to them. The cities or the important sort of urban areas are somewhere in the middle of each country. And therefore, there isn't that sort of huge interaction between them, at least at the border region. So I think Tijuana-San Diego is one of the few, even at the U.S.-Mexico border, you'll find that this kind of binomial sort of kind of condition of urbanism, it's it's most, I would say, the only more prominent condition is San Diego-Tijuana. The rest of the city is either one city is close to the border and the other city on the other side is uh, sort of a few hundred miles away from the border. So on and so forth. But this is the only condition when these two cities come together and two major cities. You're talking about Tijuana being the fifth largest city in Mexico, and of course, San Diego in California, because being a huge economy worldwide. So I think that was, makes this border really different in relationship to certain, those economic and cultural conditions.
1: This uh, unique condition of uh, Tijuana, running, it's also have a specific place in actual Mexican, actually, I say republic, it's often looked at as kind of a northern city that is neither Mexican nor American, somewhere in between. And you mentioned last summer that in one official motto adopted by the city of Tijuana, it says the fatherland begins here.
3: Yeah,
2: that's in the city hall, you know, on the facade of the City Hall, oh.
1: it's an interesting, you know, conundrum. In a way that "Fatherland starts here" sounds like a phrase towards uh, Mexican nationals. Yes, that is also can be interpreted as "Fatherland ends here" as well. Right. So I find it very interesting because it's also a, it's some kind of a economic thing involved in it. It's like uh, Tijuana becomes a sort of supplier of American money in a yeah. way. And how's that work?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, you might say that's the kind of the difficult sort of identity crisis of the city. Well, for me, it's not a crisis. I think it's for me, it's really interesting that the city is actually, you said at the beginning, it's a really young city. It's about 126, 127 years old, can't remember right now. So the rest of the cities in Mexico are either 400, 500, 700 years old, right? I mean, they have sort of pre-Columbian sort of histories, and we don't have anything on it. I think our uh, we don't have any Mayan or Aztec ruins. Our ruins are actually North American. Our ruins are Californian. We have the first, the racetrack that was basically set up here in the 1920s became sort of the economic engine for the city. The Agua Caliente Casino, which was also in a way sort of funded by California businessmen, also became part of the history of the city. So those are our relics. Those are our history. And therefore, somehow in Mexico, and I think I believe in Mexico City, it tends to bother some people, right? It tends to bother about sort of this American sort of history and background that the city has. and But I think the city has embraced it in some way or another, right? This is, I think, the place where we used uh, the dollar before the peso. This is the place where people like baseball rather than soccer. You know, soccer is getting a little bit more into the mainstream now. But but so it was. it's, a, it's like a friend said to me once, Tijuana is the only American city governed by Mexico. So it is very much a hybrid, sort of like the Néstor Canclini the, Canclini, the Argentinian socialist said, uh, it's one of the most interesting sort of, you know, postmodern cities in the world because of its hybridity of, culture and language. We have words in Tijuana that don't mean anything in other parts of Mexico because they're kind of Spanglish or they're, well, they're in a way they're, they're part of the lexicon now here. And so it has that interesting sort of, like I said, hybridity that has sort of permeated in the architecture, a little bit in the urbanism, but also in the arts, in literature, in music. We have the, you know, the kids, whether well, they're not kids, they're our age now. <laughs> the Nortec guys, you know, who kind of mix sort of the electronic music with the Norteño band, uh, banda music. So it it all this sort of idea of the border as this kind of hybrid laboratory has become very, very, very much part of the identity.
1: Which makes uh, Tijuana interesting in a way because it was able to develop its own very unique culture, unique to, to Tijuana. And that... Cultural connection is one of the, looking from my eyes, one of the strongest things that mm-hmm. uh, I first uh, recognized. The day that I arrived here, my friend Carlos Camino, who's an architect, took me to this uh, festival at the time. It was the Sonido Tijuana, where all the music that came out from the city, it's actually, it's a musician's right. city here. It is and anything from early jazz recordings to uh, Mexican rock and roll bands, which were spurred, you know, we got to hear some of them perform.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that is an interesting story because it, and it's a personal story to me because I come from a, a family of musicians who came here in the late teens, you know, 1915, my grandfather came here as a musician. And then my father, and my uncle became jazz pianists here in the city. And so the, there was a lot of, The musicians that came up here to Tijuana to work because there were a lot of cabarets, there were a lot of bars, especially jazz bars. And why were there jazz bars here in the nineteen fifties and the 1920s? Because a lot of African-Americans were able to set up bars here in Tijuana where they couldn't have, you know, where it wasn't easy for them to somehow have a business in the United States, even though, of course, they were not slaves anymore. But it was very difficult for them to be part of sort of the economic sort of life of the United States. So they would cross the border and open up these bars. And then they would bring their buddies from all the way from Chicago, Boston, and they would play here. And so a lot of the Mexican musicians would also come in and play and learn sort of the jazz of that area. Wasn't really yet, of course, jazz, but you even had You know, great musicians like Jelly Roll Morton coming to Tijuana and uh, opening up a small little uh, jazz bar and playing a couple of songs that became then hit. And so that continued all the way into the 1940s, the 1950s. Then rock and roll came. And of course, being so close to the United States, the rock and roll kids were the ones who started to learn you know, really fast uh, the songs and the way to play rock and roll. And that that permeated all the way to to the other parts of Mexico. So Tijuana was kind of that, like sort of the door to jazz and rock and roll in the rest of the country. So, which is really, really interesting. And it still is. I mean, it kind of died out a little bit, but then it sort of kind of wants to start coming back. But it has a huge, huge sort of history of music that has to do with, with being close to the border. It's also interesting that, it's normally, this comes from the
1: colonialist uh, attitude from the north. If Tijuana is often looked at as the uh, receiving end of culture. But once you are here, when once you start to sort of dig in, it seems to be the other way around. The, culturally, my observation is it's much more uh, robust the culture of Tijuana than, let's say, some place like uh, San Diego. Right. So there's some kind of a reverse colonialism going on in here, and I start to notice people coming from San Diego and being be investing into the yeah. cultural activities in Tijuana, open up
2: galleries or renting studio spaces. The artists, yeah. Types. Well, Tijuana has always known how to package something and sell it to the North. It's been doing that since the beginning, since Prohibition, right? During Prohibition, of course, there was a lot of sort of wine and liquor sort of establishments that sort of were brought up. And of course, they knew how to sell and take advantage of sort of the laws, the sort of puritanical laws that were happening in the United States. And so if you go to In the 1960s and 70s, if you went to Avenida Revolución, which is the main drag, you would see that the guys who are selling these trinkets would be able to speak English, French, Japanese, Korean, I mean, whatever. I mean, they would just adapt to find a way to sell sort of what they're they're trying to do, What I mean, sell what they're trying to make. And I think today there's a little bit of that, but at another, there's another kind of market and kind of this more, for me, kind of this more hipster cultural artist market. And again, Tijuana is sort of trying to sort of package that to that idea and then resell it. Some way or another, right? And I think that's always been uh, sort of kind of the modus operandi of the city. I mean, that's how it survives, right? It kind of sort of tends to sort of play out those roles that the other is looking for, you know, real easy to and and make it make it real easy to find. And so I think that's always been kind of its. Tijuana's always been that that other place, right, where you come and do things or find things that that you desire or your imagination, and Tijuana has found a way to package it. And it could be from, like we said, from drugs all the way to culture. So while we are at it, I'm going to touch, since it's the area
1: of your research for a long time, uh, there's three or four predominant economic forces of uh, that exists now in Tijuana, one of them being a makinadaro. The, the, the industrialization of Tijuana, uh, this is a little bit away from the uh, regular tourism industry that we know of. Now, it's Tijuana is also able to produce industrial goods, and there is another one is the um, medical industry, yeah, that uh, which has directly has to do with. The, the, the subject is big today, the uh, health insurance right. industry in the United States. And we want to able to offer a lot of medical care at a
2: low cost. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and th- those those have been the manufacturing or what you call the maquiladora industry really started to happen in around 1965. That's when uh, a huge program by the national government, by the federal government sort of began to try to develop the states and the cities on the northern border. And of course, Tijuana was one of the cities that was targeted to be a free trade zone and a manufacturing zone. And so that's been happening since then, I mean, since 1965. Now the manufacturing that that's being done here has, of course, changed based on sort of technologies and based on sort of, of course, the market. Tijuana used to be the used to they used to call it the capital of television because when they were doing televisions before LCD screens, 50% of all televisions were practically made here, uh, sold in the world. And then the technology changed; they changed to sort of thinner screens, no more cathode ray tubes to LCDs, and then the sort of the uh, manufacturing of those. Products went somewhere else, but then Tijuana started to manufacture other goods. So today, there is a really interesting different types of manufacturing. There's even homegrown products like uh, 3D Robotics, who sort of have their is one of the most important drone companies. I would say right now, they started here in Tijuana. Of course, capital came from San Francisco, but uh, the uh, kid who started the business is is from Tijuana, and so there there are other types of manufacturing sort of uh, ways and mechanisms besides the big company coming here and setting things up. Medical tourism, it's a huge, huge industry. It's always been, especially for Californians and, and uh, San Diegans, where they could actually come here. And it used to be that San Diegans can come here and just kind of look for the services that were missing in their insurance sort of premiums, Right. If they didn't have sort of, let's say, eye care, they would come here or dental care, or maybe the dental care was too expensive for them over there. Even with insurance, they would come here and and do it. And so that was kind of the beginning of sort of the medical tourism in the city. And then, but it has escalated to now having uh, huge partnerships between Mexican and American hospitals sort of setting up here in Tijuana. And right where we are speaking, you know, a few blocks from here, they're building a huge hospital that would serve people who have American insurance. And so even people who don't have insurance, who won't have insurance, usually come here because the prices, again, are very cheap. And that's sort of the, that was kind of the differences I was telling you at the beginning, where the difference in price of the service makes these places really sort of work. And so you have now uh, dental services, eye care Plastic surgery of all types uh, and even other sort of medical sort of procedures uh, from regular doctor visits, et cetera, et etc. So the city has always catered to the American or the Californian who has had a difficulty in getting insured or getting medical attention and so this is a, a kind of a little safe haven in order to be able to to stay healthy and even to buy medicine. Medicine here is much 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 there's sort of a pharmacy cheap. in
1: uh, every other store is a right pharmacy.
2: yeah i used to say that tijuana was the biggest pharmacy in the world you know <laughs> as you cross the border the first thing you see is a pharmacy right and the, so that is there's a big market for for that too okay well i want
1: to bring uh, one of the things that i didn't mention now is there's also a booming real estate industry <laughs> happening right now. This is the latest one and maybe this one is going to carry us to back to urbanism. It has a huge impact of uh, the way that city is expanding and the densification of the city is like a full force right now. Right. There are high rise buildings being condominiums being built and you particularly have a strong
2: position about those things.
1: Can you talk about that a little bit, Rene?
2: Yeah. Just to give you, an idea, it's been like probably the last, I would say, eight to 10 years when this really strong development of high rise buildings, uh, apartment buildings, residential buildings uh, began to sort of happen. Most of these are middle class or upper middle class Sort of apartment buildings. You're talking about um, high-rise buildings from 10, 20, almost to 30 or 35 floors, with prices ranging from $100,000 to up to half a million dollars. And those are really expensive, sort of uh, units for anybody making a living and working in the city of Tijuana. Those seem to be catered to San Diegans or people from California or people from other parts of Mexico who want to invest. You know, their money in some real estate. So you're seeing a big kind of bubble happening. People are holding now to their land and trying to see if a developer is going to come and ask them, you know, three or four or five times for their property. So a lot of the land is not being sort of sold to regular developers, but just speculating on that it's going to get to a much higher price. And that's become a problem. Now, the developers here say, well, we are densifying the city and what I say to them is that the people who can afford these high rises could be probably 2% of the population. So they're kind of densifying for the 2%, <laughs> yeah. right? Instead of densifying for the 98%, which are the ones that actually need to sort of have a denser city. Uh, now the densification, of course, doesn't work if you don't have a sort of suitable transportation system, which we don't have yet. I mean, we're trying to get a, beginnings a BRT. The-
1: The city didn't have a public transportation system
2: for years, and they just started one last year, no? Right. So they're starting a BRT, which is a Bus Rapid Transit System, a kind of dedicated lane system, similar to the one in other parts of Latin America, like in Colombia or Brazil. And so it's it's quite not up, you know, yet. So there's like a lot of infrastructural problems
1: in Tijuana. And how do you see the city is catching up with those, because it is, like I said, it's a very robust city. And it's another thing about Tijuana. There's nothing Tijuana cannot do.
2: Right? <laughs> yeah. In Tijuana, there's a lot of liberty and freedom, except there isn't a lot of money. Right. right. <laughs> so you tend to sort of do things just, you know, as fast and expedient as possible. And sometimes, you know, it, it, uh, we have, you have to do things two or three times because, you know, it wasn't done the right way. But then again, right, some, it still works. And yeah, the city's it's not expanding that much anymore, but there's a lot of need to better the communities across the east of the city where a lot of the, for instance, a lot of the people who work in the manufacturing plants live. I mean, there was back in the 90s, there was all these small developer-driven homes that were built, very small homes. You're talking about maybe 250 square feet. And uh, they built thousands and thousands of these. Today, there's about twenty or 30,000 of those homes uh, abandoned because the people couldn't live in them. They were so far away from the uh, center of the city that uh, they either had to buy a car, so they they couldn't afford it, and uh, they couldn't move to, to work. So they abandoned. They rather went back to the communities where they come from because they had you know, at least the social ties that somebody who would take care of their kids or there was a school there that they could they could take their children, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a big lot, a big amount, a large amount of housing that's been abandoned. And that's been a failure, I think, of the state in relationship to sort of worker housing. And I think that we should, I think the city should go back and try to do new models Right, new models of urbanization and these new models of neighborhoods, rather than just thinking that these these beautiful high rises are going to save the day. Do you want to? Also, I'm going to
1: get back to uh, the architectural aspect of things in Tijuana through this uh, new real estate changes in the real estate industry. The, if you look at the city as in the early days, like 20 years ago, when I Passed by Tijuana. It's always appeared to be a dusty city that was
2: kind of a. Yeah, it's the, it's the, um, it's the uh, meteor in uh, Cowboy Bebop.
1: Cowboy Bebop. And, and, but now it's the city is, uh, there, there are efforts to change the city to more neoliberal, middle class sort of identity. That you see uh, there's a new type of commerces opening up, the micro breweries, and the gastronomic economy, there's a new restaurants, people are coming from San Diego to dine on those things. But there's also a the huge amount of gentrification going on in the city. And I know there are a lot of architects in Tijuana that are uh, vehemently speaking against it, as well as there are architects in Tijuana that are just kind of uh, running hand-in-hand hand with this sort of you neoliberal, know, gentrifying and uh, building industry. Right. So
2: how does that play out? Well, it's interesting because Tijuana has always been a city with a kind of weak government, meaning that it's either a right-wing government that has allowed sort of the, the market just to basically do what it wants. So we kind of have a market urbanism. So whoever owns the land gets to, gets to decide what it wants to do. The city and the government is not strong enough to actually dictate, you know, as far as what uh, each owner or landowner can do. It tries to basically work on other issues, like we mentioned before, infrastructure, water, basic stuff, right? It's a city that's never finished being built. So the market sort of t- tends to take control of the city. And therefore, that's what we're seeing uh, right now. Again, it's sort of the market sort of trying to work out these neighborhoods, looking for these neighborhoods that are close to the border, right? That are close to the services, be close to the center, and therefore trying to sort of make these neighborhoods into multifamily, residential, middle-class neighborhoods. And which... Look, there's nothing wrong with it I think I think of course the density would would serve well but the problem is that they're based on a market study and not on an urban study right and so there, we said before one the of mm-hmm. there's a lot of freedoms there's a lot of freedoms for an architect to do many interesting things we talked about hybridity and we talked about sort of how do you hybridize a building with the existing because the existing streets for instance have a lot of activity. There's a lot of people doing things in the street. Right? It's already mixed use. It's already mixed use. It's all these sort of, you know, kind of you know, hipster sort of things that, that that they're talking about. So how do you kind of integrate yourself as a as an as a urbanist or as an architect into those activities and make something that's really you know truly sort of interesting that allows you to do things that you couldn't do in other parts of the world or in other cities or even in San Diego, which has a much stronger government, mm-hmm. which has a much stronger say on what you can build and what you can't. So what I'm really sort of I would say dissatisfied is that the architects here today are not taking that advantage. They're just going with what the market is trying to say and they're saying you know developer wants, you know, this amount of units and he wants it like this and they go ahead and build it. So it's kind of normalizing the city in a way that I think it's missing its opportunity to become that something special that always Tijuanaenses tend to say we are, right? So we're kind of kind of losing that. We're kind of sort of turning into a kind of just regular, globalized sort of free market economy sort of city with, you know, condos that look like they could be built anywhere. Now that we sort of sketched out the
1: general conditions in Tehuana, uh from uh, where we are, I want to get back to Donna Ken and and Paul uh, <clears throat> based on what you heard so far. if you have any sort of uh, commentary on this,
0: guys I'm curious about what makes Tijuana so different than the other Mexican border cities
2: yeah, well, one of them, I think uh, sort of what I was mentioning in the beginning is that This is a city that is right on the border. I mean, what I mean right on the border, there are people whose backyard fence is the border fence. (laughs) That's how close it is to the border. And then from there, it radiates out. Now, San Diego, of course, is really close to the border. So it also touches the border in some way, not as dense or with so much density as Tijuana, but they're really close together. So they're actually kind of one... An interesting urban region. And that doesn't really happen a lot in other parts of the US Mexico border. There are, like, you might have a big city next to a small town. Maybe Juarez has a relationship there with El Paso, but it's, you know, those cities are not as important as San Diego, Tijuana, for say, in regards to sort of. Uh, how much they they produce for the country? So I think uh, Monterey is very important as well. And so as you go through the border, either either one city is close to the border and the other country, the other city is away from the border. And so this is the place where you only get these two conditions of really physically, you know, spatially uh, continuous urban fabric. And I think that's why uh, I find it that it's that it's very different from the other sort of cities uh, across the, uh, the U.S.-Mexico border.
0: You know, I think I might be similar to a lot of other Californians in the sense that unfortunately I have very limited experience with Tijuana. The the vast majority of my experience with Tijuana is literally like driving through Tijuana to go down further south down uh Baja. What is that experience like compared to the experience of, you know, the rest of Tijuana? Like is that is that a realistic perception of Tijuana that that one gets when when taking that, that path through?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because when you go through Baja, you kind of take uh, the edge. You go, you go around the city, right? And then uh, you go through the coast. And there's a community, coastal community called Playas de Tijuana, which is probably the only thing you get to see from the city. And then from there, it's pretty much uh, a small town. There's Rosarito. And then from there, you go on and it's just beautiful sort of beachfront properties, but so no, when you, you come down and you go down to Baja, you kind of miss all the hustle and bustle of the city. Uh, like I said, there's uh, Playas de Tijuana, which is a small neighborhood, but everything is kind of to the east of the ocean. And why is that? Because Tijuana didn't really sort of settle the, the coastline until the 1950s. It really didn't have any use for the water. Uh, it wasn't like San Diego, who had, of course, had a, a lot of interest in, in sort of the coastline, especially for kind of the military and the Navy base. But Tijuana did, never had any interest in it. it. Its interest was always being next to the border and being able to sort of to take advantage of that kind of, of the economic possibilities between both sides. But it wasn't happening through water, it was happening through land. And so that's why when you go down to Baja, you kind of don't see much. I mean, there isn't much development there. Most of the developments on the east side.
3: Renee, this is kind of a maybe a silly question, but I grew up in Arizona, so I have some experience with it, but it was now 30 years ago. For those of us that live now in the Midwest or in other parts of the country and don't really know much about what the border is like, I feel like my most recent knowledge of it comes from things like television shows and movies, from Weeds or from Breaking Bad, those kinds of things. Um, Is there any kind of accurate representation you've seen in popular culture like a movie that would talk about, uh, that would sort of give an accurate representation of the border condition? And I would say Orhan, if you have an answer to this or Paul, you too, uh, you know, any of you guys that live out there to just give those of us in the other part of the world a a bit of a understanding.
2: But it's an interesting question, because I think Tijuana's image has been shaped more by Hollywood than by Mexico itself. Uh So since the 1920s, if you look at some of the movies like In Caliente from the 1930s with Rita Hayworth and all these sort of uh, important Hollywood actors. Was, was shot in the Caliente uh, Casino, and and from there, Tijuana sort of became this location to kind of shoot stories of the Wild West and prohibited sort of also activities, and then it it, it sort of became like a place to kind of do all these kinds of uh, sort of illicit, illegal sort of activities in movies, but it also it also has become kind of these um, sort of dystopic. Uh, Scene for for Hollywood as well. And so it's always been there. It's like, you know, it's a little bit like the L.A. River where they shoot a lot of movies, different genre. But the L.A. River is always kind of this place where you want to go and shoot either a car scene or a Terminator scene. So Tijuana is a little bit like that. And it's it's not only movies, but it's also sort of TV shows, like you said. You know, the Simpsons come to Tijuana and they call it the happiest place on earth, at least to Krusty the Clown.
3: (laughs) And we here, we kind of laugh
2: a bit. And we we sometimes use that just to, you know, start a conversation, to think about it. But, you know, there's a lot of interesting, uh, sort of, let's say, you might say things that are, that might appear to be true. But the logic of the city and the complexities of the city are very different. Of course, you're talking about sort of all the economic, the industry, the labor issues, development issues, things like that. So I think some of these films play a kind of play, Tijuana, that yeah, it might be true in, a, in some areas, but really, you know, it's much more complex than that.
1: <laughs> That's my impression as well. There's also this urbanity that doesn't exist in uh, let's say immediate neighbor San Diego. There's this urban grid that is increasingly being erased right. from developed country cities. It's part of this Beautiful thing that the urban grid that is very much uh, exists in existence in Tijuana. And I grew up in a similar place also. Not everything is pick and span and rationally planned, and things develop in interesting ways organically and based on sometimes speculation, sometimes uh, the need. Right. So, considering all those, what, do you, in your opinion, what can we learn from Tijuana?
2: Like a learning from
1: Las Vegas? What can we learn from <laughs> Tijuana? Or what the industrialized cities can learn from Tijuana?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one because usually Tijuana tries to learn from other cities and then we kind of get it wrong. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know there's you know if there's like a recipe here or, or not. I I don't I think you know maybe bad influence is a good thing. Yeah, you know? maybe it is, maybe a weak government. <laughs> bad, 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 bad friend but in that a good way with uh, maybe allowing you know people to basically do you know build things that they need to and mm-hmm. uh, allowing them to sort of set up a shop on the street if they need to and then uh, you know allowing that uh, commerce and that sort of pedestrian mm-hmm. sort of life that, that a lot of people are looking for in cities well some of that is not really orchestrated that happens organically Macroeconomics, economics right the right so and it's like you said it's the need and it, and, and it helps uh, sort of People survive, and I think those things can be some way or another led uh, to produce really interesting sort of spaces. And you know, I think that's that's one way uh, to look at it. If you want to think about what. What you can learn. I mean, it, it happens in many Amer- Latin American cities, yes. but uh, but I think just to have an example really close by, I think Tijuana is a, it's, it's a good example. And 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 I think that would be sort of the and that's you're right. It's part of the urban culture that's kind of disappearing, yes. unfortunately. Yes. Right. And and I think uh, that is that's something that we can really learn. Uh, like there's learn nothing
1: from. left from uh, urbanism in New York from the '60s and '70s. It's now. It's all. you know, It's like a birthday cake. You know, right? Perfect. Many cities like that, you know, all the urban development, regeneration right. of the cities and anywhere right. in the United States, the the robust and, you know, uh, booming cities, yeah. et cetera. And, uh,
2: yeah, and I think also you talked about the manufacturing. I think in that sense, Tijuana is going to continue to be a manufacturing city. I mean, we, t- we have all this talk about sort of, in a sense of uh, post-industrial cities, but Tijuana is going to continue to be very much an industrial city. It's going to still be making things for the next next 40 or 50 years. And I think, how do how does Tijuana sort of capitalize on that? I think it's very interesting. How does it become a place where not only you have cheap labor, but you also have, let's say, interesting new ways of building things? How do you sort of, you kind of have like, like this Latin American sort of Silicon Valley, if you may, I don't know if you want to call it that, but how does it, Capitalize on on sort of the idea of making, right? yeah. and I think because it's a it's, it's a it's a big big process here. Everybody sort of lives off of it, and I think uh, schools are starting to understand that uh, teaching or having students going to college to study industrial design or being industrial engineers, and and these people are the the future of new companies, homegrown that will eventually tap into. The manufacturing industry making things here. So I think you'll see much more of that. I think you'll see much more of a city that's that's making stuff at all scales. And and so it would be interesting to see what kind of city comes out of that, right? What kind of uh, industrial parks, uh, worker housing communities, et cetera, et cetera. So I mean there's there's a lot to look at and maybe learn in the future and see what, what would happen.
1: I think the architects and urban designers are very much attracted. That the other day I was talking to Hernan uh, Hernandez Alonso. Yeah. And we both had an agreement that, you know, this is like the, it can be looked as the future of the cities because the, the possibilities are there and the, uh, uh, the possibilities of making that
2: happen is also there. Well, it's interesting because I would say that if you contrast it with San Diego, Tijuana is where people come to sort of try to make their dreams come true. Young people, I mean, Tijuana is full of young people. On the other side, San Diego is where people go to retire. They're done with their dreams. Yes, a <laughs> so very ingenious. You know? So place. in a way, it's sort of Tijuana will always be hustle and bustle. You know, yes. it'll always be kind of, in a way, of remaking itself all the time. That dynamism that
1: makes the uh, city is really interesting yeah. and livable.
2: But and, it's yeah. also great to, like myself, to live both sides to be able to live and go go across the border, teach on one side, live on the other side, and and sort of have an idea that the region is very different and that, uh, and how, even though they're different, how they both sort of need that difference to help each other sort of grow.
1: Well, you're a very good example of that, you know, taking this out, what Tijuana has to offer. As an architect, as an ambassador, you're kind of doing this right now. But you're also doing this, uh, some projects, in Tijuana that are worth mentioning at this program. Uh, One is the Solar River Project, pretty well-known now, and it's being published. uh, And also the other one is, I'm going to touch base with you, the Hyperloop Project. Right. Can
2: you talk about those two futuristic projects? Well, those two projects are really large-scale regional projects. And the reason why I kind of decided to sort of work with these with other people is that uh, Tijuana, like we said before, I mean, it it starts, it builds itself, you know, almost like an organism. So trying to sort of work in at that scale as an architect, really, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Everybody here is an architect, everybody builds their own home, everybody hires a mason, and they get to build what they want. So at that scale, you don't really have much to say. So I'm looking at the larger scale of of the bigger changes and see how the infrastructure can actually sort of help produce a much more, let's say, independent city, right? So the solar project was to use the canal, which is very similar to the LA River Channel, cuts across the whole city. But instead of turning it into kind of this romantic park or bringing back the river, was to actually make the infrastructure work much harder, sort of to make it sort of produce energy by putting solar panels over it. Still... Leaving that as a a runoff channel, which, of course, is very needed, but also make it produce electricity for about, I don't know, 30 or 50,000 homes. It was a a project that would probably supply about 95 megawatts of power, making it one of the biggest sort of solar farms farms in the country. And so that was the idea. And the idea was also Mm -hmm. going back to sort of the spirit of Tijuana of hybridizing, of how do you sort of hybridize things? How do you put together two things in order to make that new one that that that? that third space. And that's the, the idea. And now the Hyperloop project, which we are finalists, semi-finalists for a route that connects LA to San Diego. And then the second part is San Diego to Ensenada. So it goes through Tijuana. And when we saw the opportunity to enter the competition, we said, well, here's a great way to sort of two things, to connect the region, right? It's like it's, a bullet that kind of right. penetrates, it penetrates the, border. the border, exactly. It, it makes a hole in the border right? It takes you to, you know, LA in 20 minutes. But it also, there because of the manufacturing industry here, it's very important that those goods sort of end up in the ports. And I think that would help that as well. And the other thing is sort of having people to really be able to live where they want to live. So if I want to live in Tijuana and work in LA, and then only, you know, because I could afford to live in Tijuana or my money goes further in Tijuana, then I could you know, be in LA in twenty minutes and come back. And so I think that is a kind of that that freedom to to live and work where you want. That was was interesting of of the project for the uh, hyperloop entry that we did. But it was about being a cross border system for us. It was about sort of people choosing uh, where they work, where they live, and 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 really sort of going going perpendicular to to the to the political. You know. 20th century border that we have now.
1: I think it's also a good way of saying uh, for Tijuana, saying, look, we are here too. Right. And in this increasingly uh, increasing importance of the city, it's a very, very good project, I think, to be included on that kind of a Hyperloop voice or identity. Ken, I'm sorry that you you kind of have been quiet in there. (laughs) I'd love to hear if you have a commentary on this so
4: far. I do. Um, you know, I, I guess the question I have is, is there any any kind of, I mean, we have a president now in, uh, over here that is working hard to build a wall And um, whenever I think about the wall, I I don't think about it from the perspective of an American. I think about it from, I try to consider it from a Mexican uh, perspective. And, And I wondered, one, is there any lingering resentment about, you know, here's Tijuana. It's been really, there's just really a strong connection between the states and Tijuana. And now we've got this person who is casting Mexico as this nefarious uh, country that's come to do us harm, and I wonder is there one is there this lingering resentment about that, and does it provide or does it seems like the wall as constructed would be easily built along that border does it give an opportunity for Tijuana to look instead of you know connecting with America like looking inward and making you know inroads into um creating a, a more vital connection with uh, Mexico. is—is is that make any sense?
2: Yes, it does make sense. What's happening with the border in the Tijuana-San Diego sort of urban area, it's pretty much built. There's sometimes even a couple of fences or, or three sort of different types of border infrastructure. I mean, there's some, of course, there's the metal fence and then there's some like concrete bollards uh, that are very tall, and then eventually some other type of fence, uh, depending on the topography and the geography and the areas. And so uh, if there's a new fence, it won't be, I don't think there's no place to build another one here unless you want a fourth (laughs) one, probably be built, you know, pretty much to the east where there's passing Tijuana, where there's really nothing. And it's very difficult. I mean, the topography is very mountainous very hard sort of, let's say, geology. And so it'll be, you know, and nobody crosses through there anyway. And so I think the effects that here people in Tijuana fear are the effects of policy. For instance, back in the 90s, late 90s, I mean, early 90s, I believe, Operation Gatekeeper was a big big sort of issue here in Tijuana because it that's the first step that fortified basically the border between Tijuana and San Diego and made people cross the border through the desert and therefore have a lot of people dying crossing the border and that policy included a border but it also included more patrols included a lot of other sort of mechanisms that sort of fortified the border and I think those policies are, are what we're afraid of so any other you know besides sure the the, the border is a big issue, but the policies that come with that building of the physical border is what we are more sort of fearful of, that people can't cross the border for some reason or another, or that they will be searched, you know, without sort of any any justification. Things like that, I think, are, are much more sort of fearful, especially in the economic sort of um, area. People are interested that the flow of goods and the flow of sort of products and services continue the way they are. Hopefully there won't be any policy that sort of stops that. And so those are, I think, the, the, the major sort of concerns for this area. Now, we have a good relationship with San Diego and California. We're thankful that California and San Diego have been more about sort of a much stretcher you know a a relationship a much integrated integrated yeah relationship economic relationship with uh with the city of tijuana and mexico as a state and as a city uh pertain to san diego so it's great to be next to california (laughs) so far but uh the city is is also manufacturing things and sending things other places in China, in Korea. We're starting to have flights now that go from straight from Tijuana to uh, China and Tijuana to Korea. We you didn't have that. We used to people would have to go to Mexico City and take those flights. And why do we have those those sort of connections now? Because there is a you know there's a lot of sort of economic activity between sort of Asia and and the Pacific, at least the, the Mexican Pacific. So in a way, we still have a great relationship with California. I think the wall is not going to be built here, but the policies are what gets people nervous. And there are other ways of dealing with it economically. I think there are other countries interested in what we do or what the city is able to produce, at least in the manufacturing sector.
1: I think Asian countries are really interested in Tijuana. I'm seeing more and more Chinese people visiting Tijuana, Japanese people uh, visiting Tijuana. And, you know, those guys are seeing a lot of possibilities, you know, more so than, let's say, you know, our resident.
2: Yeah, and that's something that we're taking. We're um, I'm curating a a small exhibition in Seoul, Korea, uh, September for the. Uh, Biennale. Architecture and Urbanism know. and interestingly, they invited us as San Diego-Tijuana, so not as Tijuana or just as Mexico, but as the as the border region. And we're out of fifty cities, we're the only sort of trans-border, bi-city, bi-national city, region that got invited. So yeah, there's been interest in how sort of these uh, this region works. This is an
1: interesting thing because you know, considering that role, Tijuana and San Diego can really play a pioneering role in terms of eroding some of the nation-state issues and become like a re- regional uh, place that, you know, anybody can come and cross, go back, share the economies. I, it's, a, it's like a wonderful future, potential future that might take a place. So, which makes going back to our first, uh, you know, starting of this conversation, which makes Tijuana is a really kind of a pivotal role, both Tijuana and San Diego, yeah. to do this because there's a lot of similar conditions all over the world. That there's, you know, border cities, uh, places between Europe and Middle East, you know, all kinds of possibilities. Hong Kong and Juan, right in which China. Is,
2: right very very interesting yeah and there's also been in Tijuana there's always been a talk for a long time now of this Tijuana being kind of a post Mexico right I don't know if San Diego wants to be a post United States but but it's the possibility of sort of redefining itself as a totally new uh, region not based on sort of the uh, idealisms of, of sort of you know the whatever the, the national concerns are so. yeah,
1: what more curious is you know what kind of an architecture that would produce? Right, well, this is completely something new, you know how how that impacts the design of the city because you have a unique population to house or you know, to work, you have migrants. The one of the thing about Tijuana, there's a very little population in Tijuana actually from here, right? Mostly from somewhere else, correct. And I've been seeing a lot of Haitians lately. That- well the
2: Haitian phenomenon is really interesting because they came last year we're talking about i don't know 5000 or 6000 of them came here hoping to cross the border in the United States they couldn't cross the border they, they weren't they weren't allowed to seek asylum or be refugees and they stayed in Tijuana and uh, i was reading yesterday specifically in the paper that they're shutting down some of the places where they're staying and i and i first my thought was why i mean they're doing a great you know service to these people and they said we're shutting them down because we don't need them anymore. The Haitians in the last six or seven months have been able to integrate themselves into the culture, into the city. Mm-hmm. They've rented a place. They have jobs now. They put their kids in school. And so no no, no need for these uh, shelters. And so it's interesting how, uh, yeah, the city sort of absorbs everybody that comes here and basically takes them up. That's kind of uh, summarizes the Tijuana's
1: personality in right. a way that it's a, it's a pioneer city that people can come here. And sort of build up a life for themselves. You know, exactly. Right? That which we kind of neglect to see that there's all this, you know, colonialist view of looking at, you know, this kind of a place like Tijuana sort of undermining its abilities. Right.
0: Orhan, before we uh, finish, I'm really curious, as I'm sure a lot of Archonnect readers are, because we're, we're seeing these occasional little teasers coming out of the blog section from you. What is the Constellations of Tijuana project that you have recently started? The
1: Constellations project, if you remember, it started at uh, Postopolis, LA, if you remember that. Both Brian Finocchi and Jeff Mano invited me to participate in that, and I came up with this project called, specifically for this occasion, I created this project called Constellations of Los Angeles. And now there's uh, this new architecture school here called Escuela Libre de Arquitectura. This is the second summer I'm teaching there. And they gave me an opportunity to uh, under the urbanismo uh, section to do a project, the constellations of Tijuana. They asked me if I want to do it. So I'm doing it. It's kind of like a test piece. It's an interesting way of looking at cities, the scales of it uh, always changing. Sometimes we are looking at a small block of a city. Sometimes we are looking at big area of the city. So it's like this constant change. And we are looking for patterns, how the uh, grids collide with each other. We are looking at urban archaeology. We are looking for stories. Uh, and I said this. Uh, the other day is like a galaxy with a lot of stories. And I'm kind of a little bit like a bebop cowboy uh, looking at this stuff. The places, I'm not an expert, of course, not uh, about Tijuana, but I'm finding out in this test piece that it's a wonderful way of looking at cities and actually learn from it. And students are super interested. I have five very dynamic students. It's a research Studio, and you know, hopefully, we're going to turn this into a, a book. We're going to develop sort of a a feature for Archinect, and so it's basically it's a test piece of looking at the cities. They already people are asking, can we do this for our city? It's like as if I own it, <laughs> uh, I don't. And uh, but it's already kind of a like giving students, especially. Getting them out of their comfort zone and looking for stories, looking for patterns in the city, looking uh, like one of the students told me the other day that they will never walk the same way again in the city, which is great. For me, you know, to hear that uh, already makes me feel like I accomplished something for the students to look at the city in a in a very uh, dynamic way. Uh, That's what I'm doing. And I, I feel very lucky that I was given this opportunity by Escola Libre, um, uh, basically they gave me a free ticket to do it again. And if it really works, uh, I, I would like to do one in other, like my hometown and other cities. Seems to be a, a great way of studying urbanism uh, in a from like a strange way. Nobody looks at it that way. But it's it's sort of like a making something out of these patterns that we see on the map. We heavily use uh, Google Maps and every other thing that we can get our hands
0: onto. So when, when can we expect the next update?
1: Right now I'm blogging and probably tomorrow I'm going to look at our first constellation, Uh, the test piece, that how we are going to format it. I don't really know what the end product exactly is going to be, the content of it. Uh, If I knew, probably I wouldn't be interested doing it. So it's uh, every day there's new things popping up from it and we are trying to understand and adapt to it. So uh, probably I will blog something about it next week. And thanks for putting up on the front page. The students are super interested are <laughs> They are sending with thumbs up all the time now.
0: Are all your students local?
1: Yeah. And and we, we talk in English, which I don't speak Spanish, but I'm learning little by little. But they're from here and they know a lot of stories about the city and they bring it in. I'm encouraging them to bring their personal experiences like if there's any interesting thing happen to their life someplace specific in the city if they can you know map that out and mapping by that I mean you know kind of uh, contextualize it and develop a way of a format to show how that experience impacts their experience of the city.
0: Well it sounds like you guys are both engaged in a lot of exciting Activities to progress the dialogue of uh, among architects in in Tijuana, as and as well as uh, across the border. So, thanks so much to both of you for taking the time today to uh, talk to us and and share some of your perspectives from from Tijuana.
3: Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Good to have you guys.
0: Thanks to Rene and Orhan for joining us this week. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account ArcSessions or with hashtag Archinect Sessions. You can also send us an email to connect at com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. Thanks and talk to you next time.